welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. This episode features an interview with John Paul Davis, the Sky Sports News presenter. Simon Barrington, founder and director of Forge Leadership, asks John how one becomes a TV sports presenter and how leaders can better communicate. Well, today on the Forge Leadership Podcast, I'm joined by John Paul Davis. John's a journalist and television presenter currently working for Sky in London. Over the past decade, he's presented Sky Sports News, Sky News, as well as international football, rugby union and rugby league across the Sky network. But he also has a deep concern for social justice and raising awareness of tough situations faced by men, women and children around the world. John, welcome. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. (laughs) So presenting the uh, news on Sky Sports, I mean, how did you get to do that? How did you get to do a job like that? Was it a childhood dream? Yeah, I d- yes and no, really. I, I, um, I think my, my route to becoming uh, a television presenter is probably not uh, the, the most typical of routes. I spent four years uh, in the police surf- service um, on a home office graduate scheme before that. Um, but I found myself instinctively wanting to deal with the causes of problems uh, rather than the consequences. Yeah, and of okay. course, yeah. police work by its very nature is dealing with consequences. And I found myself asking the question, why, uh, a lot. So that led me back to university where I did a nine-month diploma in broadcast journalism. So at the end of that, you get a, an NCTJ qualification, which is the National Council for Training Journalists. Yeah. Um, and thereafter, I got a job in local radio and then local television, which was a brilliant learning ground yeah. because those things, by virtue of their, their manpower or lack of manpower, mean that you get to do lots of different journalistic uh, jobs, such as producing, editing, reporting, um, presenting uh, as well. So uh, things happen quite quickly and then off the back of a couple of years in local television and radio yeah. I sent a speculative showreel off uh, to Sky, got myself a screen test and, uh-huh. and the job uh, came off, off the back of that. So it's, it's not a typical route into television because there was a, a career that predated it but um, in terms of ad- advice to people uh, trying to get into to um, journalism work, I, I the, the general thing that you would advise people to do is get as much voluntary experience as possible. And as a little boy, I used to record myself yeah. um, recording a, a show on cassettes. Remember those really? cassettes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. they all wow. sort of 60, 120 minute cassettes yeah. Yeah. and pretended that I had this theme music at the beginning <laughs> and doing the show, which was probably. Um, yeah. Uh, not not the most uh, intriguing listen, but for did me as play, a little did boy, did you play it on a recorder or something? Yeah, no, I just I don't, I don't think I ever played it back. I just I just no, I, I had a, a record, the old vinyl, which was yeah. the theme tune. Then yeah. came the program, however long it was, and then. Yeah. Uh, so there was an interest in journalism from a very early age, and then as a teenager, I wrote um, sports reports for my local newspaper. Right, so there was okay. an interest in yeah. stories, I think, yeah. Yeah. as much as journalism. And of course, storytelling is 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 the heart of journalism. And growing up in Wales, you must have been passionate about rugby as well. Was that kind of a key factor in getting into sports journalism? Yeah, it was. I I I think my interest in rugby was I wasn't I, from. From the very early age, um, I was aware that my my family was uh, was 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 a big rugby family in terms of my uncle. He played for Wales. My dad played rugby. My brother played rugby. But me, me personally, it was I only had a real interest when we moved to Wales at the okay. age of eight or nine, okay. and then I got in to start playing rugby and. Mm-hmm. 
and then from there my yeah my interest in the national side grew yeah and what's it like um, presenting live television what are some of the communication challenges that you have what have you learned as over the 10 years you've been presenting live television What's it like presenting live television now after having done it for 10, 11 years? It, it feels quite natural and normal, but over the years, um, of course, it, it's been a learning curve, a steep learning curve for the first few years in particular. Um, and if you're asking me a few of the qualities yeah. that are necessary um, in telling stories, the things that I've learned over the years are, are numerous, really. And I think... Uh, it, it, when you're telling stories on television, you're often telling them at very short notice. So what is important is to know the story. So when you're telling that story, you tell it with a sense of insight and background, which means you put the current developments in their proper context. You're often dealing with breaking news or developing story yeah. in a sky context. Yeah. Um, understanding the nature of the story uh, is important. So a very serious story. Uh, will be told and delivered in a different manner, for instance, to something that's funny yeah. um, and light-hearted. Pace is important to so something that's involved and is more complex, might need a, a slower pace than something, again, that's more light-hearted. Um, enthusiasm, I think, is generally okay. underrated, yeah. Yeah. but often overcooked. Okay. Now, what I mean by that is that you can tell when someone is genuinely interested in what they're saying. Yeah. You can also tell when someone's trying a little too hard and maybe applying a technique. So thinking about what you're saying and genuine enthusiasm comes across. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot to be said for enthusiasm. And I think two of the most important factors, and I think this goes across the board, this, this is way beyond journalism as well, are gravitas and warmth. Okay. Gravitas meaning having a presence as you tell the story. Um, and possessing an authority and approach that causes people to trust what you're saying, yeah. but saying it not in a dispassionate, cold way, but with real warmth, as if you were talking to a, a close friend or relative yeah. about something that's important to you. And I think those two, gravitas and warmth, are really important, and, and they develop as, as you gain experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what about your audience? How much do you think about your audience? I always remember I was in the cabinet office at one point and had a cabinet office minister who uh, I wrote a speech for. It came back with you know red lines through so, all of it, going, you know, your audience is is a Daily Mail reader. It's not the Times or <laughs> or, or the Telegraph. So, how how much do you think about? your audience and communicating with them or is that not relevant no no it is relevant absolutely right you need to know who you're speaking to and i think it's a key part of of any means of communication is who am i talking to here what do they already know okay so you're asking yeah. the question i don't need to spend 10 minutes telling them what they already know yeah. and how do i need to inform them now i'll tell you something one one other uh, thing that I've had to learn, or one quality that I've had to learn over the years, is my boss said to me in the first year or two at Sky, he said to me two or three times, in fact, he said, you're too verbose. <laughs> okay. He said, you use too many words. Yeah. And he was absolutely spot on. And the reason why I used too many words was, as I was explaining uh, the breaking story or whatever it was, I was trying to actually understand it as I was explaining it. Okay. So the understand, that comes back to understanding the story okay. and being prepared. So understanding your audience, I think you're simplifying what you've got to say as much as possible and you knowing exactly what you're trying to say is, is, is important because if, if you're not sure where you're going, the chances are 
you're going to come across as confused and a little bit meandering. Yeah. So uh, knowing knowing what you, knowing your audience is is crucial actually. Yeah. And how do you go about preparing for a live broadcast? What process do you go through yourself? Do yeah. You have lots of notes. Are you doing lots of reading. Or sticky notes on the desk. I mean, <laughs> what, what do you do? So I think as you go through and you become more experienced, you you. I remember my boss saying to me in the first couple of years when it all seemed. Uh, as though there was an awful lot of information coming at you. I remember him saying um, at Sky, he said, you, you'll find your way. And that's, that's, that's so true. You find a way to communicate, and it's, it's a routine. So my routine, for instance, I often do the, the early morning show, uh, the breakfast show, is that I get in, I'll get in for about four o'clock. The first thing you do is you open up your iNews, which is your running order for the day, and within that you have the diary for the day, a list of interviews that you're going to... Uh, have to do a list of stories that are coming up, big stories, a lot of a list of live games that you might have to yeah. update. So yeah. you so yeah. you have your um you, you have your plan for the day and then you you, you with your co presenter normally you plan around who's gonna do what. Sometimes yeah. you both do an interview. Yeah. So you plan the interview, so you research um, the person who's coming on, the topics you're gonna be talking about, you you plan your live sports, so that means you're formulating your statistics, who's playing for who, what the background is, so you can inform you can inform the audience. And and just generally then you you, you, you I put that into a certain spreadsheet and you, you print it off and so I do the same things at the same times then you go off, you have a little meeting, a production meeting. And then you obviously you get dressed, have a little bit of makeup on. Some of us need some of us need more than others. Sun, great face for radio. Um, and so it's 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 quite routine orientated. But uh, the, the interesting thing is, is that when you're well prepared, the the actual act of going on and and presenting is is far more comfortable than, for instance, if you're underprepared or for whatever reason you're stuck in traffic and you're late and you're having to go on it and you're, you're a little bit sort of seat to your pants. Preparation is 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 key. So tell me something uh, funny or unusual that maybe has happened when you've been doing live television. Right, okay, well, obviously live television is, um, it can be fraught uh, at times with, with crosses to people who aren't ready or, uh-huh. or whatever else. But I think um, one thing that, and this it doesn't happen anymore, but in the olden days, yeah. um, we used to present and we'd be, uh, we'd be um, you know, you're, you're all suited up and you've got your... your collar, your stiff collar, yeah. your, your smart tie and your, yeah. and your jacket. But yeah. in the summertime, sometimes you just, you'd be able to get away with wearing shorts and flip-flops <laughs> under, under, the, under the desk, right? So if you, you think if ever the fire alarm were to go and you'd have to make a sharp exit, I think all would be revealed and, um, and, and, and you're, you're, you're like on the beach below, below the hip and, and, and above it's, it's, it's very much a different perception. Yeah, but yeah. Um, those, those days are gone now because of course they have us on our feet moving around. Yeah. The sure. studio a lot sure. in lots of different position yeah. positions, so you wouldn't get away with it anymore. Yeah. But um, often perception and uh, reality are, are different things, aren't they? Yeah, I remember um, just after university, I did an uh, internship for a summer at a broadcasting company, which I won't name. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just the sense that you know the whole of the the regional news program was presented from a broom cupboard that you know yeah. on television looks yeah. like a massive space and actually is yeah. just tiny and squashed in so yeah perception can be different from and reality. it's often the way isn't it when you know the sky has grown over the years and we moved into a new building in 2011 but before that it was in terms of the size of the place very much scaled down in terms of output yeah you wouldn't equate the two yeah. so people yeah. would walk in and say blimey you, all this happens within this small yeah. space yeah 
Um, but now it's it, it, it's a different perception because it's much bigger. But no, I, I yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. So you must listen to leaders communicating um, all the time. You know, you must sit there in the audiences and, and listen to people trying to get their messages across. I'm sure you've done that with me yeah. <laughs> as well on a number of occasions. So um, what, what are the common mistakes that you see leaders making as they try and communicate their their message clearly and, and articulate it well? Yeah, I'd, look, I wouldn't want to stand in judgment of, of, of anyone who, who stands up front because it's it's not easy to do and it's it's it, there's a real art to it. But I'll, I'll speak from, from experience and, and those things where I've made mistakes and also um, I'll, I'll speak about situations where people really resonate with me and I... And, and the way that I've, I grew up sort of in a, in a background where you listen to a lot of preaching, yeah. for example, yeah. to church. Yeah. And so you, you, you heard a lot of different deliveries. Yeah. Um, and, and I think uh, I think often it's very easy, isn't it, to be authoritarian and prescriptive in leadership. There are times when that's appropriate. But as a general approach, I'm not so sure. I remember once asking a prominent church leader in the UK what, in his opinion, was the most important characteristic of a leader or the way he communicates. Yeah. And um, I think I was expecting something along the lines of, well, you've got to lead by example. You've got to be a great orator. You've mm-hmm. got to you've got to communicate in a simple mm-hmm. way. But what he said was, um, well, it left me feeling a bit underwhelmed, actually. He said, <laughs> okay. it's the ability to facilitate yeah. and bring the best out of others. I was like, oh. But then the more I thought about what he said, the more profound I thought it was, because actually it's not easy to surround yourselves by people who are more capable than you mm-hmm. in different areas. But I th- actually, I think he hit the nail on the head. I think that's the essence, isn't it, of effective team leadership is communicating in such a way that empowers those around you and provides a space where they're uninhibited and they're able to work effectively. I suppose it's a bit like that old Chinese proverb that says, when the best leader's work is done, the people say, we did it ourselves. I think that's closely linked with the the second point I'd make as well, and that most people, I think, respond far more effectively when a leader communicates a sense of vulnerability as opposed to something that's authoritarian. And that traditionally, vulnerability is perhaps perceived as a as a weakness, but I, I, I think it's the opposite, yeah, actually. Yeah. I remember Rick Warren, who's an American pastor, saying that when he stands up, as he does in, in front of thousands of people, if he says something along the lines of, this is what you need to do, mm-hmm. generally the lights, that's the yeah. reaction from his audience, yeah, yeah. the lights stay off. Yeah. But when I say, look, I struggle a bit with this, and, and, and this is something I'm working through, yeah. I remember him saying that all over that auditorium, the lights are switching on because people are engaging with that. And I think people relate to that, Simon, because I think the truth is, in in one way or another, we're all fragile. We're all vulnerable. And I think the leaders who are strong and brave enough to share that vulnerabilities are leaders who have the capacity not just to connect with minds, Mm. but also with hearts. And I think when you engage hearts and minds, that's a a pretty... pretty, um, powerful combination isn't yeah, it and commitment that, is it that sense of kind of finding your authentic voice is, is that what you're saying because I, I, interesting someone said to me the other week they said um, Simon you know I heard you preach uh, last week and uh, for the first time I felt it was really you and before that I felt like you were trying to be like someone else and is that part of it as well learning to be vulnerable learning to what I say dare greatly um, 
expose who you really are? Is that what connects with people? Yeah, it does. It does. And I, th- I think it's because people relate to that, don't they? People yeah. relate to that authenticity. And I think it's that sense of someone giving something of themselves. Right. So yeah. maybe, maybe you associate with someone stood up front that they should have all the answers. Yeah. But I, I think that's the, the point that this church leader was making when, when he says you bring the best out of other people. It's, it's accepting that I don't know everything mm. and I struggle with, with certain areas. I mean, there's, there's a time and a place though, Simon, isn't yeah, there? It's not yeah. the kind of thing, you, it's not wearing your heart on your sleeve in, in every given situation. But I think there is a time when giving of yourself and being honest about yourself mm. um, is very helpful because it actually it makes the listener feel as though I don't have to have everything sewn up mm. and, and life is a journey mm. and, and, that, and that journey involves working through stuff, working through stuff from our backgrounds, from the way we were parented, mm. uh, through some of the trauma that you go through in life. Mm. And I think the more real someone could be, I mean, they're, they're, look, I, th- I think we're speaking very generally, aren't we? If you're, if you're a, um, a business leader and you're talking to your, your team a, 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 about your business, it's a different thing than standing up in front of someone preaching or, yeah. or trying to convey some yeah. kind of truth. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, but I think the latter definitely lends vulnerability is, is, is important within that context. Yeah. Although I think even in a business context, I certainly yeah. found that uh, my willingness to recognise that I'm not an expert in every area, that I have weaknesses, that there are things that most people do better than me that's why they're hired is is actually creates an environment in which they're empowered yeah in which they are trusted to get on with the job and so you know i resonate what, with what you're saying even in a in a business context yeah. so i might not be sharing my personal vulnerabilities but actually i am prepared to say hey i failed there hey i made a mistake there hey i got that wrong or hey someone yeah. else can do this better than me yeah, it's yeah. actually a strength rather than a, a yeah. weakness. And also accepting that, you know, which of us is is, is as rounded to have skills in, 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 in areas of finance, administration, communication. It's not realistic, is it? So yeah, that I, part, I, I guess part of that vulnerability is, is accepting that my skill set is, is this and I need people who are far better skilled in other areas around me for, for this to work effectively. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. So, John, how do you think leaders can be better at communicating vital information? What, what tips do you have for them? No, it's a good question, isn't it? Because we know that our short-term memory has a, a finite capacity and we'll only retain a small number of facts and instructions, for example, from a 20-minute talk. So, And this is something that I, I've tried to put into action um, at work, in terms of preparing to present, is, is simplifying information into a few headline sentences. Mm-hmm. Do you get that? So you, yeah. so it's that there's that sense of you might have a lot of information, but part of the skill, I think, of, of being in journalism is condensing that information into maybe three or four hit headline situations that you can you can get out there and you repeat those things. Okay. So the, the, if, you, if you're looking to make two or three key points... You make them and then you reinforce them. And the second thing, and it was something that really struck with me watching a documentary when I first came into journalism, and it was the great Welsh broadcaster Cliff Morgan who said, mm-hmm. make every word count. Mm-hmm. And I, I alluded to it before, didn't I, talking about being too verbose. And I think it's about choosing your words carefully, not following the temptation to meander 
Um, but having that that sense of you knowing you're knowing where you're going, so you're having the end in mind when you mm. start speaking, mm. and that's a that's that's an everyday challenge with breaking news because you get information and you think, listen, I've got twenty seconds to tell this story to to give the breaking news. A, B, C. I think in terms of three, what's important? Context normally in the middle. Conclusion. So the breaking news is A, B. Context. This is when the con and C. The final thing is. And that means where does it where might it lead next? Yeah, yeah. So making every word count is something I often think of when I'm on telly, thinking, man, just either be quiet because <laughs> I'm tired of my own voice, or you know, yeah. you've said enough. Yeah, yeah. And that's a real skill, isn't it, that develops over time. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. So, um, no, it is. Yeah. It is. It is a skill, and yeah. and um, and and yeah, one one of one I'm in the process of learning. So who have been your inspiration as uh, communicators and, and what have you learned from them? It's hard, isn't it, to, to pick one or two individuals out because when we were growing up, it would just be those you heard in presence that, yeah. that you, you'd had experience of. Now with podcasts and, and social media, you have access to, to the world's best speakers. But I think those and examples of those have really impacted me when you listen to them. I'd, I'd, I'd call out someone like Billy Graham, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who speaks in a very simple, effective way, almost disarmingly simple, yeah. but yet there's real power and authority yeah. in what he's saying. Yeah. Um, now, why is there power and authority in what he's saying? I, I guess it's because it comes from a heart of integrity. Yeah. That's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. So, so why, why is he such an effective leader? Why have thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the years yeah. flocked to hear him speak? Well, it's because there's a real authenticity and truth in what he's saying. Um, and I think that must reflect the kind of character, the kind of man that he is. Um, in terms of storytellers, you know, I, I'm, I'm, and he's, you know, he, he He's a good friend of ours, and he's someone whom, whom we love listening to. But I think Rob Parsons is a great storyteller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you 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 always come away from listening to Rob having felt as though you've learned something. But he paints pictures, yeah. and I think and it's very clever how people can do that. And it probably wouldn't seem clever to him, but he just puts you, when you're listening to Rob, he, he puts you in a situation where you imagine you're there, and you 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 really you really connect with the stories that he's telling. So. Yeah, I think the power of storytelling is 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 very effective yeah. in communicating yeah. anecdotes, yeah. Um, but there's also real power in in I think in that that authenticity, integrity that we alluded to a little bit earlier. Yeah, certainly, you know, people like Rob Parsons, Billy Graham were great observers of life, weren't they? As well, you know, people yeah. who can kind of who listen into a situation and yeah. pick up nuances that and patterns that maybe we would miss yeah? yeah and they're here and then they're able to talk turn them into stories and I think one of the things I've learned is actually if I want to be a good communicator then I need to be a really good listener yeah, yeah? a really yeah. good listener into life and people like Michael McIntyre are brilliant for that and just observe life and observe what's happening and then turn it into a, a great story that, that, that is played back but Billy Graham as well you know I often uh, heard him say, you know, the Bible says. Yeah. That was his source of authority. His yeah. authority was outside of himself, um, uh, which is why I think he made him so powerful. Yeah, and I, I think that's a very good point. I think you, when, you, when you think about communication, you think about talking, don't you? Mm. 
And yet I think one of the most important aspects of communication is listening. Yeah. I think it's the um, theologian Henry Newman who said, listening is the highest form of hospitality, aiming not to change people, but offer them a space where yeah. change yeah. can take place. Yeah. And I think the ability to listen yeah. in silence without wanting to uh, prompt the conversation into what you've got to say next yeah. is, is unusual because yeah. we're, we're overloaded, aren't we, in this day and age as well by... I sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but, we, 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 <laughs> but there's so much opinion yeah. and so many words come at us through Twitter, through social media, through, through so many different channels now. The art of listening, and it's a real challenge to me, actually, when, when you interview someone on television and you've got a, you've got a set plan, where do I want to go with this? Mm. And then someone says something... Yeah that really, really you, you need to pick up on, but you might have missed it because you're, you're thinking about what you're going to say next. next. And that's why I think what, in, what Newman meant by hospitality is you know, listening to what someone's saying and understanding and then trying to help or, or go back to them on the basis of what they're saying is, is, is not only rare. I think it's, there's a real generosity in yeah. that, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love that quote about mm. hospitality because that sums it up for me, yeah. really. But, yeah. I don't, don't say yeah, mate, that, that is, that's a lesson to me. I mean, I often find myself, if I'm being totally honest with you, I'll, I'll be in a conversation and I can cut across someone. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're answering a question and I'm, I'm, answering, I'm asking another question. Yeah. You know? yeah. Bad habit, two verbose. <laughs> <laughs> but being present and, and fully in the moment, that's yeah. what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's true in terms of you know, a leader communicating, I think just being present, being in the moment, listening, getting the sense of the situation you're in. I, I was always saying to my wife, you know, actually, I never know quite what I'm going to preach until I walk into the building. Because <laughs> actually there's a sense of the place that you're in and picking up the vibe and the sense of uh, who people are and, the, and where they're at is... But the thing is, you've got to have a degree of experience, right? Yeah. And, and confidence to, 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 do, to do that. that. You, yeah. So yeah. You, you would have to have done it a fair few times yeah. to be fairly experienced yeah. to have the confidence. Yeah. No, to, is that right? So, yeah, no. so let me ask you a question. So, so within the framework of what you do yeah when you're when you're preparing to preach and you're in a new environment how much is pre-prepared so how much maybe by way of percentage of what you prepared you actually act, end up talking about and how much scope do you give yourself it's to, probably to go with the environment it's probably you know 80 percent yeah is stuff that i've already prepared for different scenarios right yeah yeah um so it's all coming out of a kit bag yeah. yeah, none of it's totally unprepared in that yeah. sense, um, but actually fitting what um, you already have heard and prepared and is on your heart to a specific circumstance. So it's usually a kind of, you walk into a situation and you like, this story is going to be really powerful for these people. Yeah. Yeah, and then being able to pull that out and, and use it and then it hits. Yeah, and people respond and that, yeah. that, that can be very powerful. So that's something that come, can come to you just on the spur of the moment, yeah, almost. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the first times we met, John, was uh, travelling to Mozambique together. I'll never forget that uh, trip uh, for many different reasons. Yeah. Um, but you saw some things on that trip. We were camping out in a rural village um, that have changed you. Yeah. yeah, and that you're really passionate about and want to communicate. What, what did you see and, and, and how has it changed you as a, as a person? It was a funny one because we went, it was 2006, wasn't it? And, and we went with an ITV film crew. I was working for ITV at the time. 
Um, and with the benefit of hindsight, um, it was only really those experiences impacted me when I came back and thought about them. You can be okay. a little bit removed, you see, when yeah. you're working yeah. in that environment. Yeah. So we, we, we viewed it, didn't we? That the, the experience was viewed through the eyes of a Welsh businessman. So you've got the, the Welsh businessman who's a, a mutual friend of ours who's experiencing this. Then you've got the cameraman and then you've got you. So you're a couple of stages removed yeah. from what he's seeing, if yeah. you like. Yeah. So in some in some respects, um, when we were there, it was easy it was easy to keep a little bit of distance. But what I what really hit me when we came back was the love of the people um, working for Samaritan's Purse in that context. The love of people who could have been working um, at the top of their profession in much more comfortable situations, yeah. whether they be America, Canada, UK, wherever they came from, but yet had chosen. To go to um, existences that were tough, tough yeah. as yeah. living existences where people weren't exactly sure how they're going to get any clean water, yeah. where the next meal is coming from, where disease and recovery from civil war was was an everyday challenge. And what struck me was the, the grace and the humility in the lives of of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've we've been on subsequent trips yeah. with Samaritan's Purse, and again, what has struck me has been the sacrificial decisions they have made, yeah. and accompanying that, the sense of peace. Yeah. So I remember speaking to a guy called Kendall Kofeld in um, Liberia. This was three years later, and asking him, "How on earth do you deal with what seems that?" utter chaos at the the time there were UN uh, roadblocks all over the country um, and it just felt a very chaotic situation and and he said and I forget what he said he said if you looked at the bigger picture you'd be taking the first plane out of there he (laughs) said I made a decision that I just deal with the next person in front of me whether that's a child whether it's an orphan whether it's an old person you just deal with one person at a time and I think Simon, what it what it made me think, and it, it's a question that that often comes to my mind is, is is what can I give? Mm. You know, the Bible says it's much more blessed to give than to receive. Mm. I think we were wired to give. Mm. I think that's that's what gives mm. us true yeah. deep satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. Culture and society tells us you can do this, you can do this for yourself, you can go and get what you want, live what life you want. Mm. Actually, I don't think. Ultimately, that brings us deep satisfaction. It's, mm. it's like that businessman who gets to the top of the tree and says, I wish someone had told me when you get to the top of the mountain, there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, yeah. and I felt that sense yeah. of real challenge just by observing. And they, they, weren't, they weren't saying or, or yeah. doing anything. They were just caring for people. Yeah. And those, I just felt there was huge power, huge power in that. And also allied with that was just observing the lives of some of the people we came into contact with in Mozambique, in Liberia, Swaziland we went to as well, where people were faced with horrific uncertainty mm. and that some of these kids were double orphaned and, and there were real difficult situations and yet mm. they had a sense of acceptance and peace about their life yeah. and, and that was incongruous, you know, it didn't, it didn't really add up but it, I think it pointed towards it. There's, there's, there's more. There's got to be more to life than what you see and, and the circumstances in which you find yourself. Yeah. And has that changed you as an individual since you've uh, done those trips? What kind of things have you got involved in? Has it has it made you feel about your life and, and the things that you've tried well, I think, to do? Do you know the first trip we went away on? And you you maybe had in your mind's eye 
an idea of oh, after this, you know, I, I just want to go out and not, I want to save the world. But I remember coming back from that trip thinking, I just need to be a, a better dad. I need to right. be a better yeah. husband. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, look, 10, 11 years on, that, that is still very much, let me tell yeah. you, a work in yeah. progress. You know, I've got four little boys mm-hmm. and sometimes I feel as though I'm fathering by the seat of my pants, <laughs> you know, and they feel like one or two steps ahead of me. You, know? you, you, you probably said it. I think we've all been there. Oh, I thought you were going to say that. I'm not surprised by that. No, it means you do. Um, but, you know, it, it's the challenge, Simon, for me coming back from a situation where you, where you meet lots of children who don't have a mum or dad and, and you realise the impact that fathering has the, the impact that, that my dad has had on me and the way that I was fathered and, and the impact that the way I behave with my wife and children will have on them long term and what it, what it really challenges me about is that the public stuff must come second to the private stuff mm. you know, if privately I'm the man I need to be in the way I speak to my wife, the way I, I treat my wife and my children. If those things, that, and if you come back to, to, to character and integrity, don't you? If those things are right, then um, the public responsibility, I think, fits into place. But it's got to be that way around. It can't be the other way around. That public first, then private. I think it's, it's, it's got to be private first. And that, that, as I said, is work in progress. Yeah, and that's a massive challenge for all of us, actually. Mm. Um, John Paul Davis, thank you so much for joining us on the Forge Leadership Thanks for podcast today. Thanks for listening. More episodes are released every Monday. And you can subscribe on the Forge Leadership website at forge-leadership.com or by searching for Ford Leadership Podcast on iTunes.